Amen. Now, as a kid, I didn't understand when my dad used to say this to me. He would look at the television and he would often say, not again, right? And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This week, whenever um, I was talking with Ren and asking him to come, he said he was going to lead a new song, and this new song was Let It Go. And immediately, I started to sweat, all right? because of the movie Frozen, and when the movie Frozen came out, my little girl who is now 10, she's too cool for Frozen until Frozen 2 comes out, but right now she's too cool for it, but there was a time when my daughter had watched that movie so much where she could sing every song, she knew every hand motion, literally I could watch it on my computer and she could be out in front of me and they would be in sync without her even seeing the screen, okay? Now I don't know what that says about our parenting skills, watch the movie kid, all right? But anyway, you will learn this obsession that kids can become toward or have toward movies and for me, I'm going to date myself a little bit, I, I did this as a kid. And there was this box that my parents, I remember, we drove from Franklin, Kentucky to Bowling Green because they did not exist in Franklin, to a movie store in Bowling Green, downtown Bowling Green. If you're from Bowling Green, it was called Curtis Mathis, and it was downtown. Downtown's changed a lot since then. You used to never go downtown. Everybody goes downtown. And so we would drive up here, and we bought this big brick called a VCR. It was huge. The remote control at that time was, hey, kid, get up and turn the channel, right? And so this huge brick, and it had VHS tapes. And so you could watch movies and rent movies and put them in this thing and watch them on your television. And my dad, once a year, this is for DVR and all of that stuff, once a year there was a movie that came on called The Wizard of Oz. And my dad thought that he would be really kind and um, put this, record this on a VHS blank tape so we could watch it whenever we wanted. So literally, from the television, my dad recorded The Wizard of Oz, commercials and everything, and my sister and I religiously would watch this movie over and over and over and over again to the point where we'd be standing in our living room singing the songs, Lollipop Kids, I mean, kicking the air, acting like a drunk scarecrow, I mean, the whole bit, and loved it, obsessed with The Wizard of Oz to the point where it'd drive my dad nuts, Okay? But if you guys remember The Wizard of Oz, all right, let me fill you in. Spoiler alert, there's a girl named Dorothy. She's got a dog named Toto. She's got a really angry neighbor, all right. Dog bites neighbor, tornado comes, all right. What does Dorothy do? She runs into her house. All of a sudden, the big tornado comes, sucks up their house, and she begins to watch out her window, who has magically became a screen, and, and she is watching things, family members, the old, you know, nasty neighbor, da, 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 riding her bike, right? Everybody follow me? Boom! Everything's black and white. She lands. She's startled. And then probably the most magical scene in all of movies happens. What does she do? She realizes that she's safe. She walks over to the door. And she opens up the door. You remember this? Everybody's getting nostalgic on me. And some kids are like, 
what is this movie? All right. She opens up the door, and when she opens up the door, everything is color. Everything is color. She steps out, and now the music has changed. She's looking around. There's a yellow brick road. There's, you know, plants that she has never seen. There's colors that she has never seen. Now, just to date all of us a little bit, when I used to work at elementary school, I literally had a kid ask me if I lived in a time when all of the world was black and white. Okay? No. All right? So she opens up the door, and boom, she is in a different place. And again, spoiler alert, she spends the rest of the time in the movie learning how to live in a foreign place while dreaming of getting home. So imagine just for a moment that you were to go to bed tonight, and you were to magically wake up in the morning and you were living in a different place. You were living in a foreign land. There are things that are familiar, all right? There there are things that are similar between these two worlds, but in and of itself, it is a foreign place to you. Like imagine going to sleep in Kentucky tonight and waking up in the desert of Afghanistan tomorrow. (laughs) That's a shocker. Right? I mean, you'd have to learn a whole new way to live. I mean, think about it. What would you do? What would be your first mode? What would be your first steps of action? Would you learn the language? Would you try to find somebody? Would you try to build relationships with these people? Would you learn their customs? Would you learn their worldviews? Because you know of a different place, and yet you're now living in a foreign place. See, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I would suggest to you that um, this is where you and I now live. This is definitely not Kansas anymore. Our culture has radically changed. Western believers are now finding themselves in a culture that is vastly different than the culture of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Our culture is progressively moving forward, leaving many of us as believers wondering, man, how do we navigate these waters? How do we navigate this culture that is extremely different to us? Gone are the days of simply people showing up to church and thinking you're awesome because you follow Jesus. Probably what's going to happen in most of our relationships is those ideals are going to radically change. See, I would contend again today that we, as believers in Jesus, must understand that we, every one of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, are a missionary. Some missionaries leave this land to go to what we call foreign countries. They, they are missionaries as well. But you, as an American, but most importantly, as a believer, now living in this day and time, you and I must begin to understand biblically and practically that we are missionaries. See, the West and its morals and its belief systems and the way that which that we are now heading has become extremely blurry. And yet in the midst of that blurriness, God is solidifying what he is calling us as believers in this place to do. See, our 
mission must not be our own. It must be God. The guy in the video, his name's Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt, and great guy, Doxa Church, look it up, Seattle, Washington. He says this in his book, it's titled the, the same thing. It says this, imagine this for a moment. The vision is Jesus' saturation. Every man, woman, and child in every place having a daily encounter with Jesus through the words spoken and the deeds done through his people. Can you imagine in every city, every neighborhood, every street, and every house saturated with the, the Jesus presence through his people? What if in every classroom and every extracurricular activity, students daily experience the persona and work of Jesus? Can you dream with me of the day when no business office, retail center, industrial hub can get away from the good news of Jesus proclaimed in the words and expressed in gracious deeds? A day when every cafe, pub, restaurant, or bakery smells of the aroma of Christ. This is God's intention in the world. And this, and his plan, is to do it through his people. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I would agree with Jeff. I believe that that is God's design, that we, as believers in Jesus, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a community of believers, not only Mission Church, but other gospel-centered churches within the city of Bowling Green, should be working together that there isn't a, a corner, a street, a neighborhood, a place of business that does not reflect and smell like and sound like that there are people of God there. See, he has given us, yes, a new life, but he has also given us a new way to live. In 1 Peter, look at it, verse 13. Go ahead and circle this word. We're going to go to a seminary just for a moment. Take out your pencil, paper, scratch, whatever, if you write, and circle the word therefore. A real cheesy way to remember this is to divide that word and ask yourself the question, what is it there for? This is a common used um, uh, way of writing in biblical terms. Peter used this, Paul used this, is to say, okay, he's about to transition thoughts here, but we've got to ask, why is he doing this? See, in the first 12 verses, if you've been with us, you can go online and listen to those sermons. But in those first 12 verses, what have we been learning about? And we have been learning about the security that we have in salvation through the person and work of Jesus. From the very beginning, he calls us elect exiles. That means we are chosen by the sovereign hand of God. Ephesians tells us that happens before the foundations of the earth, that you have been predestined, as Romans 8 tells us as well, that God, so in his sovereignty, in his grace, looked down and decided, created you to know him. And in doing so, our inheritance inside of heaven, our inheritance in Jesus is, as he tells us in those earlier passages, man, it is, it, is, it is a done deal. It is undefiled. It is unfading. That it is our living hope that while we're in this 
trial that we call life on this earth as we suffer, endure pain, hardships, persecution, cancer, whatever it is, that even though those things are real and that they are happening to us, the grace and the mercy of God, if we will only look ahead, we will be able to make it through those things, realizing that this present darkness does not compare to the glory of God and the glory that we will perfectly experience when he comes back to this place. See, Peter wants to remind us, because our tendency is, is to twist the word of God into making it something that you do to get God. And yet the gospel is, is that God has done it all. Jesus has done it all. The Holy Spirit has done it all. And because the Godhead has done it, then we can now do it. See, he's reminding us of what God has done in these first 12 verses. He's reminding us that it's based on his work. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Schreiner, he says this, to confuse the order here would be disastrous. And the result would be works righteousness. Instead of seeing holiness as a result of God's grace and power, as a response to the love of God in Christ. So Peter, in his writing, he's talking all about salvation. you got to get this. you got to remember this. It's, everything in your life has got to be in view of this. But for the rest of this book, I'm not going to tell you how to live and to saturate this culture. But if you get them backwards then you're going to miss this. You're going to miss it. See, the Holy Spirit wants them to know you have been saved by grace. You've been saved through grace. Grace is saving us. Grace will save us. Grace will make sure that we arrive. You cannot work to get grace, but it's the opposite. We have been given it. You've been given it. And when you've been given grace, everything about your life is different. It's different. So because we are saved, because we are God's chosen ones, because we are completely holy, secure in the person and work of Jesus, he doesn't want us to just kind of, you know, float around the, the rest of our time here on earth, but he has now a specific work that we're going to do in that grace. What does he tell us here in this next section? He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. Literally in the Greek, it, it, the translators kind of help us out in English a little bit. Literally in the Greek language that this was originally written in is, is, is this term. It means, he's saying, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, God is not telling us, oh, man, put spanks around your head and wear it like a hat, all right? That is not what God is saying here. You look really strange, and we make fun of you, all right, just so you know. But that's not what he's saying here. It's, it's a, a, actually a very Old Testament picture that is being painted here. Obviously, during this time that the letters were written, and even before that, men and women wore these long robes. If you have ever been in a bad Christmas church play, you probably had to wear one of them things. And they slapped a towel on your head and called you a shepherd, all right? Anybody but me? 
I had to wear the fake beard and everything. 13-year-old looking like a 33-year-old is weird, all right? So anyway, so we, we get this picture of all men and all women wore these long, flowy robes that were extremely loose at the bottom. Now, if you're being chased by a bear, a lion, oh my, <laughs> I don't know why these things keep coming up. All right, so uh, <laughs> it's going to be all day. So we, if you're being chased by something, if you are going to fight, if you need to run fast, and can you imagine trying to do that in those long flowing robes? I mean, you would trip all over your head. So what fighters would do, what military men and uh, would do as well is they would, they would take the middle of that robe and they would pull it up in between their legs and then they would wrap a belt around it or tie it around their legs, essentially making shorts or a onesie out of that robe. This allowed them to run quicker and allowed them to fight. I mean, even in these old kind of like Renaissance movies, you see the young girl chasing through the woods by some random we would make him a vampire today, but anyway, you get the picture, like field, girl in a big dress, and what does she do? She picks it up, and she runs. It frees them up, and in the literal Greek, that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, gird up your loins, your, the, the loins of your mind. Gird them up. Tighten them up. They're too loose. They're causing you to trip. Gird them up, tighten them up. We see this in Jeremiah 1.17. But you, dress yourself for work, arise and say to them, everything that I have commanded you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. Jesus says this in Luke 12.35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So Peter is using this terminology. We see it again. We could go to Exodus. I could take you to Kings. I could take you to image after image after image where God tells his people, hey, you're going to eat some dinner right now, but you need to eat it standing up because at any moment I could call you to go. So you don't need to have any loose ends out there. Now, specifically, what does Peter tell us here? He's telling us, like, to do this to our minds. What's happening in the church? What's happening in Peter's church that he is writing to, but what is also taking place, I would contend to you this morning, in, in 2015, is that the, the tendency is for our minds as believers to become loose. We, it, it hinders us. Our, our, our lack of biblical knowledge, our, our lack of biblical worldview, our lack of understanding who Jesus is, the way in which we think about him, the way that we experience life in him, that there is this kind of biblical ignorance that is now saturating even those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. Right? Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. Do you know his word? All right? Those who are saved have a deep desire to know the very words of God. 
I've used this before, but I think it's John Piper I heard him say one time that, you know, what's awesome about the Scripture is that, is that we get to read the mind of God. We get to read the mind. We get to know what is God like? What does he think like? What does he desire in this world? And Peter is reminding his readers, as I am reminding you here this morning, that it is important for us to, to latch onto and to study God's word, to know it, to drink from it daily. As you breathe in oxygen, may we breathe in the word of the Lord. Now, from a Jewish understanding, when they use the word mind, they are not simply talking about just their intellect. The mind is the seat of the existence of an individual. See, we like to separate things and say like mind, heart, emotions, this over here, this over there, and that makes up the person. From a biblical understanding, when they use the term mind, they are meaning all of those things, the very core and essence of who you are. So yes, does that include your emotions? Yes. Does it include your intellect? Yes. Does, does it include your, your feelings, and your, but, but also your heart, your actions, who you are as an individual, that all of those things are tightened up and not be hindered by the things of this world. The next term that he uses there is what? He uses the term sober-minded. Sober-minded. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Sober-minded. Obviously, this is a, a reference to intoxication, right? This is what we begin to think of. If you're sober, then you're not intoxicated. Now, Peter is not just talking about this idea of how drugs, alcohol, caffeine, whatever it is, that can affect our thinking. He's actually taking this very much a step further. Have you ever thought about, a lot of college students are going to ask themselves this question in the next month or four years, why do people get drunk? Why do people get drunk? One, they think it's, it's fun, all right? But a, a lot of people get drunk to, to numb pain, all right? To loosen up, right? They, they, they get drunk to, to forget. They get drunk to, to medicate themselves. I mean, how many movies have you seen or excuses have maybe you possibly made? Maybe we have testimony service this morning or maybe not. Where... Being intoxicated covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Man, I can't believe I kissed that girl. Dude, you were drunk. It's okay. Right? I can't believe you did that. Dude, I was wasted. Like, I woke up in, like, you know, uh, you know Beijing. I mean, I, I don't even know how I got here. I mean, like, every movie is, like, Dudes getting together, getting totally trashed, and not remembering. But what happens? They, they're forgiven. You get forgiven. Why? Because you were drunk. You were intoxicated. So what is Peter getting at here? I don't think he's just talking about you know, sipping some wine here. But I think what he's trying to get at is something much deeper for us as a believer to think through. Wayne Grudem says this, Letting your mind wander into any other kind of mental intoxication or addiction 
which inhibits spiritual alertness or laziness of the mind, which lulls Christians into sin through carelessness. So what are we getting at here? He's saying this. Because we no longer are, we are not in heaven, we are not in the, the perfect earth, we're not in the perfect Jerusalem right now, and we're on this planet, then our minds are constantly being influenced, swayed, indoctrinated, discipled by the things of this world. And we are constantly in that battle, going, okay, the gospel says this, Jesus says this, but the majority of the influences in my life are saying something completely opposite to that. That's the, tr- the, the struggle that we become within us. Right? Even over the last several months, as our, our culture and, and, and country has made some decisions, um, you know, as believers, man, people have really wrestled with that. Do I become swayed by the way in which the current of this world is going, or do I stand firm, right? It, this kind of sounds right. This sounds okay. It sounds okay for people to make these choices or these decisions. It's, it's, it's okay because it could be much, much worse. And so we begin to become a little numb or a little dull, in our thinking. We don't think as gospel-centered as we once did. Our corners as a believer become kind of rounded off a little bit. Peter's reminding his readers, don't be biblically ignorant or lazy, knowing and expressing the word in action. The, the world's philosophies, attitudes are, are going to try to sway our thinking. Many of us are experiencing this dulling in our hearts and mind, the erosion of our lives, and yet we don't even, we don't realize it. We don't even know it. It's a real battle. It's a real struggle. When the majority is saying, man, this is right. And yet when I compare that to the gospel, and I compare that to what Scripture says. It's not. It's not. And yet we're, we're constantly fighting like teenagers at a high school party, that peer pressure. We can be facing that as well, even as believers, to, to loosen up. Be, you know, just relax. It's, it's okay. Let's... You know, let's just give this what they want, give these people what they want. It's, man, it's okay if I just dab everything in moderation, right? I mean, these are the sorts of things that we begin to just kind of dumb down and kind of look like, sound like, the things of the world. And yet God has called us to live very, very different from that. If you continue on in verse 14, says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Again, 
Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to remind us of something. Because, again, Peter's going to spend the rest of his letter here talking about action, talking about works, talking about things that you and I should be doing, things we get to participate, the mission of God and how it influences us in authority and suffering and marriage and the responsibility of us as elders, pastors of this congregation. We're going to talk through all of those things in Peter. But he's already, again, he knows our drift He knows our temptation. I mean, my entire life, up until I became a Christian, I grew up in church, but I completely believe that all salvation, all grace, all mercy was something that I must earn. And that is not the gospel. Because when you believe that way, man, it screws up the way in which you live for God. Because you are always trying to get Him to be impressed with you. And the gospel is, is you can't be any more impressed with you. Why? Because of Jesus. Because God has demanded, he has declared, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, your identity is, is not a college student, it's, it's not a grandparent, it's not a parent, it's not an employee, it's not a, a doctor or some prefix before or after your name. That does not declare who you are. What declares who you are? What we need to grasp a hold of tightly this morning, even in the midst of us working for Jesus, living for Jesus, saturated as missionaries, the gospel in our beautiful city of Bowling Green is to know first and foremost you do those things because you are his child. There is no greater term that you can be called than son and daughter of the Most High King. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you need to be encouraged that that is true of you. That is true of you. So we work and live not as a slave to an evil taskmaster, but as a loving child. A loving child to an amazing parent that is out of love. Because you are this, now do this, be this. He goes on to say, do not be conformed. What is he saying? Don't be formed by this world. Don't be formed by it. It's constantly going to be trying to be chiseling away at you and the gospel inside of you. It's going to try to convince you that that there are doubts, that God doesn't exist, or that this is a better way, or, or, or all of these things. See, we live in a very spiritual society. Don't believe that our... Our society is becoming any less spiritual. All right, have you ever walked through the teen section of Barnes and Noble, the books? Most of them are about a bloodsucker of some sorts. All right, Wolf Boy, Batman, all right, vampire, witches, warlocks, all of that sort of stuff. Most of them are about that. Most movies that come out are are about those things, all right? And I'm not saying that that you can't read or watch. You need to prayerfully consider all of those things, all right? But what I am saying is, man, we live in a very spiritual society. You will find very few people that don't have a belief in something spiritual, all right? We call it secular pluralism, if you want to look that up, all right? So in, in this, most people in our culture... 
get this, do not believe in a personal God or that Jesus is the only way. They don't believe that anymore. Things have become very open. Spirituality has become very, very open. To most people in the world, you need to get this, they don't believe that there's any difference between a Christian and a Muslim. And you will find people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and you will claim to be people who claim to be Muslim, who will both say in conversations, well, you know we worship the same God. And those are not the same God. All right? You will find people very open. Man, just find your path. Whatever works for you is great for you. That is awesome for you. Because in the end, we're just going to all find out. We're going to coexist. And we're going to find out one day at the top of that mountain is the wizard. There it is again. All right? At the top of that mountain is God. In all of these paths, whether it's Wiccan, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, uh, Judaism, whatever it is, guess what they did? They all led us different paths to the same God. Did you know that's the most popular religion in the world today? That's what most people believe. There are Unitarians, there are people that go to the Unitarian church in town that claim to be followers of Jesus. That's like an oxymoron. It's like a paradox. Like, how does that, that work out? Because the gospel declares what? That Jesus is the only way. If Jesus is the only way today, I just want you to know I'm at the lake. Like, I'm fishing, all right? I'm sleeping in on Sunday mornings. And you know what? I'm not caring about people near as much as I, I care about people. And I'm also not caring about what they think about me near as much. Because it's just all going to get us there. And yet, we know because of the gospel, Peter's know um, because of the gospel, that, man, it is all about Jesus. But if we become ignorant, biblically ignorant, in our mind, action, in our hearts, the, our affections, in all of these sorts of things, then again, we begin to become formed by the thinking of this world. Now, this is not a sermon against uh, homosexuality or any of those sorts of things, but like, like many of you, because we've had these conversations, and I was startled a few weeks ago when they came out with the, the declaration and the vote and allowing this to take place, of how many of my Christian friends changed their face to rainbows, right? I mean, it, it was like I didn't combat them on Facebook, and I wasn't like sending hate mail that I deleted or any of those sorts of things, but it was, it was like, but what is that? That's what we're talking about today. Without even noticing it, our we become rounded. We become to go, well, you know, God is love. And love, his love triumphs over all of his characteristics, which is really bad theology, terrible theology. He is equally as wrath as he is love. He is equally as just as he is merciful. All right? You got to get that theologically. But it, it becomes a struggle, like, because I even find it with myself. It's like, Oh, you know, this show, it's, it, and I know I'm sounding like, oh my gosh, like a hardcore fundamentalist, but that's why we got to remind ourselves of the grace and mercy of God as well, okay? But man, I fight that struggle and that battle. I'll give you a story. The other day, Laura and I took her kids to one of our favorite restaurants in town. I absolutely love this place, okay? It's a hole in the wall. We love the people there. 
I could eat there and I have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If they would serve breakfast, I'm standing at the door waiting for it to open, okay? I love this place. And we went there, and it's several people. I'm there with my kids. And all of a sudden, they turn on the television. It was like normal television. But let's just say what was happening on the television was not appropriate, like at all, for me to be watching or my nine-year-old daughter. Okay, I mean, it was extremely awkward, but the only people I think that thought it was awkward, I mean, you, the volume is up. The, y'all get the picture without me having to put a picture up here, all right? This is a bad situation. It is extremely awkward, but I think we were the only ones that thought it was awkward because everybody's just carrying on, just like, and Laura's like, oh my gosh, we can never come back here, <laughs> all right? It's, I mean, it was, it was really really, really bad. But haven't you ever been late at night by yourself and those sorts of things come on and you're like, well, it's on normal TV. It's the edited version. See, we, we begin to become a, and to think even without realizing it how much that we are starting to look like the world. You know, I love gangster rap music like hardcore, like straight out of Compton, <laughs> gangster rap music. And then one day I listened to the lyrics after I became a Christian. And I still like it. I still like it. But I don't, in, by God's grace, allow myself to listen to it. Because now I also have a daughter, and I go, they're talking about my daughter, <laughs> all right? I, I mean, that's, it changes your mind. Parenting will jack you up, <laughs> all right? You think a totally different thought process. That's why I love when Pastor Jay, uh, you know, Justin, little Nora came into the world, and I hope he gets nine more, all right? Because it's rocking his world. I mean, you think about things totally different, right? Things you never thought about before. But now when you see them, when you hear them, if you're in the gospel and being reminded of the gospel and drinking from the gospel daily, you go, okay, these two things don't match up. And I'm being tested here. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting maybe even sin here. And man, am I going to follow after Jesus because I am his child? Or am I going to act not like his child right now? See, we, we can't be lazy in the gospel. It is a war. It, it, it is a fight. We cannot allow ourselves to become numb to the greatness of God and His mission. It is a daily, daily, daily war. We live under the dome of this current world, yet it is important for us to remember and solidify the fact of who God is, what God has, has done in our lives. And though we face many trials and tribulations on this earth and the way that things are, may we look, as he said in the scripture, and look forward to the hope. Set your hope where? On the grace of Jesus that will be revealed. First Peter, I think, what, 13 there. That's what he's saying. He's like, man, it is tough. It is rough. It is hard to follow Jesus. And yet, as his child, we know that there is a better day, a better tomorrow. We must fight the temptation to be like uh, those little chameleon lizards, right? 
whatever they're in front of, they start looking like. Have you ever done that before? Dudes, we'll do this. We'll get in front of a bunch of our non-Christian friends. And if somebody was to walk into some of those conversations, let's just face it, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference in who is the believer and who wasn't. And I'm guilty of that. You know, have you ever used, as my mom, you've heard me say this, used bathroom words in front of certain people because they're using them that you would never use anywhere else, right? I, was, I know about this situation here locally in this office, and there are, there are some believers, right, or claimer, claiming to be followers of Jesus, and they're all like, we're going to get this girl, Jesus is going to save her. So they're all from different angles, loving on this girl, sharing the gospel with this girl. But what's the, you know what's become very difficult for this girl? Is, is one, and these are ladies, which is totally something I don't understand, just women in general, but I'm learning, is one of them uses very colorful language, the Christian, right? Even in front of this non-Christian. And whenever she walks out of the office, that girl will look to the other believer and say, but she loves Jesus. Because it doesn't compute. It, it doesn't make sense to her. How if she's a new creation, a new person, if Jesus has changed her life, how can she be dropping bombs? And, and then she begins to ask the question, why why does she drop bombs and you don't, right? Because, see, it also, when we don't, when we don't live as obedient children, it is not only conf confusing for us as the believers and as a community of faith, but it is also extremely confusing for non-believers. You know what we need to do? We need to straight up start acting like the Scripture has called us to live, and it's going to be difficult at some moments, but I guarantee there will be much more respect in this world for us being faithful than for us being wishy-washy. As, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is, uh, is good and acceptable and perfect. Wayne Grudem says this, Doing God's will is opposite of doing what remaining sin makes us feel like doing. Man, story of my life right there. I'm a child of God. I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And yet, man, there, I want to do this. I want to say this. I pulled out in front of somebody the other day, all right? Now, I'm about to justify my sin. They were way down the parking lot. I pulled out, had to pull back in, so did one of those things. And when I pulled out, I looked in my rearview mirror, and this elderly lady, she's speaking in tongues toward me. I mean, massively. And I can read, I mean, every, she's being very distinct. And there's this, like, old man sitting next to her. He's like, and she's like, she's sign language and the whole bit, okay? You know what I did? 
drove real slow, <laughs> even the parking lot, <laughs> right? I mean, am I the only one? Some of y'all look at me like, sinner, all right? I was like, if she's going to get mad, this will make her mad. I was like, <laughs> the entire time out of the parking lot, she had nowhere to go. I mean, it's terrible, all right? Follow me as I follow Jesus in the areas I don't follow Jesus, grace, right? I mean, but that's the temptation. It's like, man, the world is doing this. It's like, man, this is not right. So, man, I'm going to show them, right? You've ever gotten in an argument with a spouse or a friend, and you are right, says every female in this room, dude, you're wrong every time, okay? But if, if you are in an argument with somebody, and you're right, as soon as you raise your voice, you know what you've just become? Wrong. Wrong. Man, that's the battle. It's part of this struggle is, man, I, I want to fight like the world fights. Like you mess with me, mess with my kid, I want to burn down your house. What's wrong with that? All right? I want to run you over. I want to find some other dudes that I know that are much bigger and scarier than me to beat you up while I stand behind them like a chihuahua going, get them, get them, get them. All right? I mean, I want that to happen. I want fairness. I want rightness. That sin is still dwelling inside of me, and I'm daily, by God's grace, in that battle of putting that sin to death. He says, don't follow the passions of your former ignorance. See, ladies and gentlemen, we have got to get this this morning. When Jesus has saved you, when you become his child, your passions should change. They should change. When you're a child of God, you, you become and, and begin to love the things that God loves. Simple, these, um, this, what drives us, all right, what you truly believe, your actions always follow that. Always. That's what happens. My buddy Sean Brown, pastor in Nashville, says this, Our actions are driven by what our heart treasures most. Child of the king, you will act like a child of the king. Child of this world, you will act like a child of this world. Okay? You will know them by their fruit. These are illustrations that we see over and over and over again. And what I want you to get this morning is, is the passions of God. See, if you're a believer, then you got to get this. You love what God loves. Huh, isn't that cool? And yet it's so foreign to many of us. What are things that God loves? Well, God loves his word. Do you love the word? Do you? Do you love your neighbor? Because God loves your neighbor. Do you love your neighbor? This is a big one, especially today. Today's time. Did you know that God loves the church? God loves it. Like he is passionate about it. He is obsessed about the community of faith all over the globe. Guess what? He is as much in love with a Songhai believer in Africa than he is with the believer sitting inside of Briarwood. He loves them just as much and is concerned with their well-being as a believer in Jesus as he is with you and me. 
God loves the church. This is why, man, I fight this temptation because when I see people not loving the church, not loving the community of faith, not loving the world and believers throughout the world, these are the things that God loves. And what you love most, you will sacrifice for. You will time, talent, treasure, passion, all of those things. If you love this and want it, ask anybody who's in a fantasy football league. If you love it, JP, all right, you will time, talent, treasure. I've got another buddy. He's been waiting all year, been working. He's got schematics, the whole bit to being a part of fantasy football. Why? Because he's passionate about it. He loves it. And the same is true for believers. Believers love what God loves. And if you don't love what God loves, then we got to ask ourselves and evaluate ourselves this morning, do we then love God? We hate what Jesus hates. We love what God loves. Believers love what God loves, and believers hate what Jesus hates. All right? Babies being ripped apart from a womb, I think God hates that. I'm pretty sure he hates that. So as a believer, I've got to hate that too. I think God hates racism. As a believer, I've got to hate racism. How's that reflective in my love for God? I love everyone. Everyone. This is where we've got to come to as believers. They love what Jesus loves. They, they hate what Jesus hates. And they also participate in God's mission. These are things that are extremely important for us to understand. In that last section here, very quickly in 15 and 16, this passage where he says, But as he has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, as a kid, when I would leave that passage, I would think, Man, see... He's wanted me to be perfect. And I was until I went bald, all right? And, and it just all crashed. But that's the mentality. That's how I used to read that as a kid. Be holy. Be, he's saying be perfect. For God is perfect. And yet, then I had to learn what the word holy meant. What does the word holy mean there? He's quoting this from Leviticus, where God gives them all of these laws, right, for them to follow. Why, though? Do you understand why? It's very reflective of these passages. He looks down at these group of people and says, you are going to be the Israelites. I am choosing you. I am electing you. You are my people, and you are going to be a blessing to the world. Here's how I'm going to want you to know and stand apart, is, is I want you to follow these things. And by following these things, people will automatically know that you are the chosen people of God. See, the term holy means to be set apart, to be different. Uniqueness. God is holy. When we sing about that in these songs, you are holy. You are the, you know, eternally unique. You are eternally Different. You are divinely different than all things that you have ever created. And so when, when God tells us, you be holy for I am holy, what is he saying? He's not saying you be perfect because guess what? You can't be. That's why we need Jesus. God demands perfection. It is satisfied in Jesus. So what is he calling us to do? Be holy. Be different. I've set you apart. 
Tim Chester and Steve Timmons says this, Leviticus is intended to create this distinctive people by shaping every aspect of their life, individually and corporately. It's not just about uh, what people did in the temple. It was about what they did in the marketplace. This holiness knows no boundaries. It defines our friendships, marriages, work, leisure, finances, and politics. Holiness is as much about what you do on a Monday morning on the factory floor as it is about what you do on a Sunday morning in a church gathering. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you are as it is about the kind of church member you are. Holiness is as much about who you are when you're holding a steering wheel, this guy, and when you're holding a Bible. See, the church is not a building that you go to. The church is a people that you belong to. And God has set us apart to live in a certain way, to be a certain way, to speak a certain way. Even in the midst of chaos, we should have the kind of marriages that people are like, man, why are you, your marriage, why is it so awesome? That gives us an opportunity to say, Jesus. Why do you work so hard? Jesus. Why do you care about our neighborhood so much? Jesus. But when we're just living like the world, they can tell no difference. Like in 2003, in Austin, Texas, these marketing guys came up with this plan to try to get people to buy local. And so you may have seen this, because several cities have adopted even Louisville up the road from us. And it's this marketing plan called Keep Austin Weird. Keep Louisville Weird. All right? And the mindset is this, is that everybody can get a Walmart. I mean, everybody can get a Target. Everybody can get a Lowe's, a Home Depot, all these sorts of things. But man, here in Austin, here in Louisville, here in Nashville, we, we really want people to go against the norm to purchase things from, from local businesses. Let's, let's keep it weird. Everybody else is normal. The normal thing is to go to, to Walmart, right? The abnormal thing is to go to some boutique. We want to encourage people to do that. Man, in a very similar way, our world is heading this way. There's a new normal. And I think as believers, God is reminding us that we should be weird. That we should be weird. That we should be very different. And it is truly in our difference that draws people to the person and work of Jesus. You know how all of this is possible? Let me drop a gospel bomb on you. Because Jesus is the true and better obedient child. Because of Jesus... Because he is the true and better child, one, I know I don't work my way to grace, I don't work my way to heaven, I can't get those things on my own. But because of him and what he has done, and now that the God, when he looks at every believer, he sees the finished work of Jesus. You are as loved by God as you are ever going to believe. Thank you, Jesus. You're as, as, as set apart. Thank you, Jesus. 
your experiences, grace, his mercy, you can't earn any more of those things. Why? Because of Jesus. And he is the truer and better child of God. And because of that, in God's grace, we can remember who we are, those first 12 chapters. But now we can also, over the next several weeks, beginning today, begin to look, okay, then how do we, in a gospel-centered way, as a gospel-centered son or daughter, put our hand to the plow and get to work engaging our community with the gospel so that it's completely saturated. Anybody's home need more gospel? Man, mine does. Anybody's neighborhood need more gospel? Anybody want God to save a bunch of your co-workers? Heck yeah. Family members, friends, children. Saturate them with the gospel that you have been saturated with as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for this mercy that you have just so lavishly just thrown.